Okay, well, this is Hampton Keithley and Coach Bob, Bob Brandon. I guess he'll always be Coach Bob. And we're doing Politics Friday. This is our second lesson or second session discussion. Hampton, you're making me laugh so hard. I get, and I have to tell you, I know this is Politics Friday. We're going to get to that in one second. But so last night at workout, uh -huh. uh, there was a, a guy that I used to coach, you know, 20, 30 years ago. And he was swimming there. And he, you know, I'm coaching the kids. We chit chat a little bit. Then he goes into the locker room and I don't see him for like a half hour. And in the meantime, you know, Amelie, of course, and, and her physical constitution is so tough. I mean, you cannot tire that girl out. Right. So, so I was telling her, Amelie, you're the anvil and I'm the hammer. Okay, I'm just going to. And so like 10 minutes later, the older gentleman walks out of the locker room. He goes, did I hear you correctly? <laughs> did you say you were there? And I said, yeah, you know, here's the issue. She, he was laughing so hard. He goes, I'm going to text everybody we used to know and tell them you haven't changed a bit. <laughs> he used that line 20 years ago on him. <laughs> yeah, and it, it didn't work on him. <laughs> I hope, I'm hoping it works on Emily. Oh, man. So, Politics Friday, Hampton. Don't derail me again. You're you're good at getting me off track. Okay. So last time we talked about, you know, how to see, how to even view politics in America. Because frankly, we're heading into a really dark time. But it serves no purpose to just rail against our political enemies. You know, that you don't you don't gain anything from that. Right. So to me, it's really valuable to look through the biblical lens. How do we even think as a Christian about politics, particularly in America, though it would apply across the board? So let's gain some principles from the Bible about how to even begin thinking about this stuff. So we did that last week, and what we talked about was that government is legitimate. God has ordained that. But it's provisional. And what we mean by that is, you know, there's there's a time when you're not going to have that, where Jesus is coming back. He's going to rule the earth as king on a throne in Jerusalem. So it's legitimate, but it's provisional. It's also common in that it applies to everyone, everywhere, but it's accountable. It doesn't mean you can do whatever you want. God has held nations accountable down through history. So it's legitimate, but provisional. It's common, but it's accountable. So I think, I think the biggest problem today seems to be the accountability because the people in our government don't seem to be held accountable for anything that they do. Well, and, and we'll discuss all those things. But what you're you're referring to is when, when we say accountable, we're accountable to who? Well, you and I would say instantly, well, you're accountable to God. There is a moral judge of the universe. They would say, no, we evolved. There is no God. Therefore, and literally, therefore, is just a series of dots. Anything goes. Right? Right. And, and that's what we see. I mean, how clearer of an example of that do you get than abortion? There's, there's no God. We can kill these babies. 
Well, in America, they say they're accountable to the people who vote for them, but that doesn't seem to be happening either. Yeah, especially when you do away with voting, right? When you corrupt the voting process. But those are topics for down the road. For now, we're just trying to gain the biblical lens of what human government is. So today, we're going to start with the Noahic Covenant. Because everything is going to actually revolve back to that. And I'm not sure many people would, if you ask them, you know, hey, where's what's the basis for all this stuff? I'm not sure they go back to the Noahic Covenant. I, I'm not sure the Noahic Covenant plays much of a role in, in people's thought to begin with. But here we go. Let me just read it. So this is Genesis chapter 9. We'll read the first uh, seven or eight verses or so. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Let me pause there for a second. Although my daughter told me, don't interrupt God, dad, when you're, when you're reading the text. I'm going to violate her rule. That's not good. But we've heard that before, right? Be right. fruitful and multiply. That was a command given to Adam. So when you're omniscient, and omnipotent, you don't make a plan B. So it's just plan A, continuing. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the terror of you will be on every beast of the earth and on every bird of the sky, with everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are given. Every moving thing that is alive shall be food for you. I give all to you as I gave the green plant. Only you shall not eat the flesh with its life, that is, its blood. Surely I will, will require your lifeblood from every beast. I will require it from every man, from every man's brother. I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. As for you, be fruitful and multiply. Populate the earth and populate the earth abundantly and multiply in it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, saying, Now behold, I myself do establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. So let's think that text through with the help of our guide for this process of our political discussion. His name is David Van Drunen. The book we're reading from is Politics After Christendom. So having considered the biblical covenants, we skip that because we, we understand what covenants are, and the relationship of nature and grace, we now return to our main concerns. Any political theology must answer some key questions such as why political communities and their governments exist at all and why they're legitimate in the sight of God. Only when we answer these questions can we accurate exp accurately explain the proper character and purpose of political life. So that's where I thought we should start out. I, th I think he's done a good job of laying the foundation for that. So let's pick apart the Noahic covenant. So, the Noahic Covenant calls the human race 
to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. It authorizes it to eat plants and animals, though not animals with their lifeblood, and grants it responsibility to enact retributive justice against murderers. All those things were clear in that text. Right. This is what lies on the face of the text. It's a modest ethic, although that seems appropriate given the limited preservative purpose of the covenant. He's trying to preserve the earth until his plan comes completely to pass. That's pretty clear in, in the grand context of Genesis and the Bible as a whole. Now that sin has entered the world, he's got to put some stuff up there to, to keep things moving forward until he can accomplish all that he has set out. But if we probe a little deeper, we discovered that this threefold Noahic ethic implies a number of activities activities beyond what the text says explicitly. We'll, we'll make that clear in a second. This opening section of the chapter begins to think through some of these implications. So for instance, the first aspect of the Noahic ethic is to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That is procre procreation should lead to a great increase in the human population. An increase in the population should lead to people spreading out through the world. The goal of increased population implies that people cannot simply be concerned about having children, but also must nurture them so that they survive into responsible adulthood and can have children of their own. So what kind of things do you need to do that? I, I remember Hillary Clinton saying in, during one of her- You need a village. You need a village. And it, there's a sense where I was gonna say, you know, I'm, I'm not a fan of Hillary's. But there's a sense in which that's true. What she means by that, however, this is quite often happens in politics. You get this bait and switch. Kind of, nobody's going to say, hey, we're for oppression. We're, we're for, right? right? That's what they're doing, but they're not going to say that. So when she says, you know, you need a village, she, what she means is bigger government and things like that. But honestly, you kind of do need that. It would be very difficult to just live as, as an individual or even an individual family. Very difficult. Right. You, you do need the gifts of all, all people. So things are implied by it. You've got to develop a society. There needs to be rules about the society, all for the purpose of increasing the population. So second, that was the first thing that comes out of Noahic Covenant. The second aspect of the ethic involves God giving plants and animals for humans to eat. With a caveat, no eating meat with its lifeblood. On the face of it, the fact that God gives animals and plants for food makes it sound as though it promulgates no moral requirement at all. But this divine gift of food obviously does not come in pre-made packages ready to be taken out of the refrigerator and so on. So in order to eat and that we have the authority over the earth to eat, you got to process that, right? You got to develop farms. You got to develop systems of procuring the meat. In other words, you need to, in a sense, industrialize. So even after creating a society in order to broaden the population, you then need to industrialize to provide for the food for all that. So all these things are implied in the Noahic covenant that's given as early as Genesis 9. And think about this, Hampton. 
when we even geneticists today will say this when they trace the human genome they can pinpoint that this eventually went back to just a handful of people and they literally mean a handful not as a metaphor right and you're going, reading genesis 9 going yeah that was moses and his sons and the eight people on the ark right that's who that is but my point in in going there was was this the Noahic covenant applies to humanity across the earth, not just redeemed people. It, it's the human plan. So the third point was about blood, right? About bloodshed. The final aspect of the ethic calls human beings to shed the blood of those who shed human blood, right? If, if you kill, if you strike someone down, that person that you struck down is the image of God. There's a penalty for that. That is a direct confrontation to the Lord. And so in Genesis 9, he essentially institutes a death penalty, right? If you do that, you need to be killed. So what do you need to do that? I mean, justice can't be just one person in vengeance. Right. feud. <laughs> right. That's right. You can't just evolve into the Hatfield and the McCoys, right. you know, so you need a system of justice. So those are the three things that are all implied in the Noahic covenant. You've got to develop a society to raise the population. You have to feed the population. So you need to industrialize and you need to govern the population with justice, you know, particularly as it relates to murder, but it really implies all forms of justice. You have to regulate the society. And right. so there, there you see the, the roots of, of the governments that we see today and have seen down through history. They, they're implied in the Noahic covenant. So it's a good lens to look through. So let's take it a step further. Since the Noahic Covenant thus requires com communal activity, the question arises as to how this cooperation and coordination should occur in a way consistent with the Noahic ethic. One crucial part of the answer must be that people form institutions and associations. With respect to the first aspect of the Noahic ethic then, what sort of institutions or associations are necessary to promote the task of being fruitful, multiplying, and filling the earth? The answer is easy. Familial institutions. This is going to get pretty, in our, in our personal discussion, this is going to get sticky in a second. But not, not that Van Drunen's not right. He's right. It's just the implications for our culture are powerful. To be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth demands an interconnected set of activities, particularly the procreation, nurture, and training of children. What is needed is not just a proper context for sexual intercourse, but also a setting in which adults can care for the children procreated and teach them how to live productively in the world. These institutions that serve as forums for sexual intercourse, procreation, and the nurture and training of children are precisely what we call families. And it's precisely what, I'm, I'm stepping out of Van Drunen now, it's precisely what 
you've seen happen in certain governments and is happening in ours, uh, they assume the role of the family, right? When you send your children off to public school, they will be indoctrinated with what the government wants them to know. Right. It's, and it's really the family's job to do that. So let me take a sip of water here. We'll get to it at a later time, Hampton, but. You think in Deuteronomy 6? Well, I wasn't thinking of a biblical passage just yet, though that's, that's critical. When Hitler took over Germany with the Nazi party, they were very strong on shutting down any kind of homeschool. And there, there were such things back then. They shut that down. And they said, you know, you get your kid into school and all they would heavy, heavy indoctrination in, into what they wanted them to think. Mm -hmm. And very direct statements about what they were doing. It, it isn't as if it just sort of happened. It, that was the plan. And so you see that in, in our culture today, some of the things that are taught in the public schools, uh, forcefully taught, you know, and, and taking prayer out of the school and punishing anybody that does prayer, pray and things like that. They're, they're taken over. And it's not just the education system. You see it primarily through the TV as well. Well, and I think a few months ago, we, there was some thing about zoom meetings and some teacher was recorded saying something about you know we don't want the parents to know what we're teaching you know we don't want parents sitting off the screen of the of the computer and hearing us right yeah the the deception you know that it's often how it all begins like what oh i don't have a good way to illustrate it but i i mean i just quite often can't even watch if a politician is speaking because they're just flat out lying to you. Almost no matter what the subject is, they're just lying to you. E even a lot of the guys that I would be tempted to support. And it's, it's just all deception because what they're really instituting is a government takeover of the society. They want to remove your freedoms. So the, the point we're making now with Van Drunen is the family is the institution God designed to raise children. So our culture tries to subvert that. So next little section here. With respect to the second aspect of the Noahic ethic, what institutions or associations are required to feed a growing population and to provide for its other material needs? In the absence of the obvious terms such as family, Van Drunen calls them enterprise associations. So you can see all the warp and woof of a, of a society and a culture being in, in very real ways mandated by the scriptures. You do need a government. It's got to have structure, right? Things need to be in place so that you can raise, the family can raise children within that context and that you can feed everybody and, de and develop the nation. Finally, what institutions or associations are necessary to fulfill the third aspect of the Noahic ethic? And of course, judicial institutions. I've got a, a dear friend who was my college roommate, so 
attorney in Dallas, and he used to talk all the time about, you know, the, the legal process and so on. You know, we're, we're often looking for strict justice. And yet what we're really faced with is a legal process. You don't always get pure justice out of that. So here's the three institutions that we need that form up our authority structures, family institutions, judicial institutions, and we need enterprise institutions, all dictated and implied by the Noahic covenant covering all humanity. So again, the fact that we have government is legitimate. That's from God. The fact that it's provisional, we'll get to <laughs> later on down the line. It's common, it applies to all people, but it's accountable. So with those simple things under our belt, we'll sign off here, Hampton, and then pick it up next time. Okay.